Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, a blues musician hell-bent and heaven-sent to put the band back together. With me today is my brother and fellow musician. He's the founder of Vanguard Tactics and my good friend. He's the Joliet Jake Blues to my Elwood Blues, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how's it going? Dave, I'm doing great. How you doing, mate? I am doing outstanding. It is good for us to, to finally catch up after uh, we, we had to go a couple weeks because of holidays and all that. We haven't talked, so it's good to catch up. A couple. It's been, in, in actually, I would, I would like to apologize because I've been uh, overly absent from the podcast. So um, 2024, the podcast is going to be one of my primary focuses. So expect me to be back more weeks than I'm not. And uh, yeah, me and you, Dave, we can really get stuck into some awesome topics that can really help people hopefully back home um, develop strategies, tactics, and just feel a lot more confident at the table um, whilst hopefully sharing some insights, have a bit of a laugh in sharing what we're up to. So yeah, I am going to be back for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, and, and in fairness, you have... You had to film a whole lot of new content for 10th edition for the Academy. You've been doing the regular YouTube uh, stream games and you've been filming a bunch of other content for the old worlds. So, you know. The biggest thing for us, I think, in the last, uh, you know, since 10th edition dropped, the Academy is over 100 videos. Um, We also have uh, made a masterclass for Tyranids, Space Marines, Necrons, Admech. Any other codexes? I think that's most of them. Nope, that's it. Dark Angel's about to come out, so sometime soon. You know, there's. we just have to look at the roadmap, right? I mean, it's crazy what's about to drop in the near future based on Games Workshop's roadmap. So it's one of those that each of those masterclasses are at least 40 videos. I think the Space Marine one was 69 videos we made. Um, and what Oof. we're going to be... Yeah, I know it's it's been absolutely mental. So, in that uh, that's on top of the free view and members content we do. So, anyway, that aside, um, I've been doing a lot of filming, which is awesome. But obviously, it's been difficult to do the podcast. However, going forward from here on, we're going to make this a regular. Also, the academy's opening up very very soon. That I'm super excited about. Um, I've literally got a date for the start date of the next academy, the masterclass subscription series. We're going to be changing that. So, so many cool things for happening so people can access the type of content they want and when they want it as well. So yeah, loads of cool stuff coming up in the future. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. Um, but before we go too far into the future, uh, we, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about the past. So uh, before we get into all that, though, let's uh, take a quick stop for our first sponsor of the day, The Outposts. The Competitive 40k podcast is proudly supported by The Outpost, your friendly local gaming store with the most helpful and friendliest of staff. After visiting The Outpost, I was taken aback by the whole host of products available in-store and online. With awesome discounts, gaming tables and a huge range of terrain for different game systems, The Outpost is certainly a great place to hang out and hobby. Check out www.the-outpost.co.uk or go and visit them in-store. All right, we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not forget to like, share, subscribe. Leave us a five-star review if you would be so kind. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram too. You can um, see all the stuff that uh, Steve and I are going are uh, up to, the stuff that I paint, and all the, uh, the cool Academy content that uh, Steve is updating people on fairly regularly on Instagram. 
Steve's on there at, at the Vanguard Tactics. I'm on there at, at Infantry Lawyer 40K. And I'm sure there will also be with LVO coming up in just a few days uh, that Steve and I will have some stuff updated on there for uh, for LVO content as well. Yeah. Um, now, before we get to all that, um, let's talk about WCW. You came out to the US for the World Championships of Warhammer in November, and we had a great time. But let's talk about your experiences at the tabletop. Um, how many you you had what seven games? Well, I think it was more. I think it was, was nine it games, wasn't it? It was nine. Might have been. It was a lot of Warhammer. I can't even remember how I did now. <laughs> it's all a blur. I think it was eight games because I went five and three. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, actually, two games the first day, and then yeah, three, and then three, three and three. Yeah. That's right. Eight games. Yeah. So that was the world team, uh, the not world team, the first ever Warhammer world championships. I was lucky enough to get a ticket for uh, one of the golden tickets. And uh, yeah, mate, had a great time with you. We went out for some great food. We did some escape rooms. I met up with loads of my old friends from the uh, WTC days. So that was amazing. Uh, Got to hang out with Brian as well, which was super cool. Um, So yeah, it was just a really good experience, to be honest. I didn't quite have the list that I wanted to take uh, due to a ruling, but there we have it. That's how it goes. You uh, do what you can. And, you know, I played some good 40K, um, you know, tried to conduct myself as best as I possibly could at the table and overall had a pretty decent time. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. There was one of those situations where um, you had wanted to put some of the new because the new assault uh, jump pack assault intercessors. Yeah. Or no, they hadn't come out yet. It was in you. Yeah. You, they hadn't come out yet. And so you, you, you wanted to put some assault Marines in, but couldn't legally put characters into them. Right. Basically the ruling at the time was that, um, the assault intercessors had been released, but you could not put a captain in with, um, sanguinary guard because that was just, that's their ruling was. on it. That's right. Um, it has now since been changed, so you can now put a captain with Sanguinary Guard. Because basically at the time, you could only put a captain with Assault Marines. And at the time, there was a Legends document that basically said, hey, uh, if, you, if you've got Assault Marines, then they can whatever can join Assault Marines can join... Um, or sorry, whatever can join Assault Intercessors with Jump Packs can join Assault Marines. That would allow it to happen. So um, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get... Um, uh, anyway, the ruling to go in my favor. Um, and I just had to kind of fling a list together super quick without much notice. So just took the best list I possibly could. And it was Black Templars. Um, and, you know, it was okay. I think a few of my games that I lost um, looking back were down to, and obviously this isn't to take anything away from my opponents at all because I played some amazing opponents. They played great Warhammer. And it may not have made a difference whatsoever to the outcome, but. I felt like my list gave up too many secondary points um, because I hadn't had the time to practice and get the repetitions in with it to really understand the pitfalls and the weaknesses of the list. And I've therefore lost a few games on secondaries because I just hemorrhaged, assassinate and bring it down. Um, whereas with a little bit more time, I probably would have refined that. So um, it's not great going into a game thinking you're at a slight disadvantage. You want to be you know, going to every game thinking, yeah, cool. I've stand a pretty decent chance here and I've just had just as much practice as everybody else. Um, but you know, on the whole, I was really happy with my performance. I played some great 40 K. Um, I met some wonderful people and 
yeah, had a had a good time. So you kind of made I made the most of it, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, you obviously did it with with your usual um, grace and class, and you know, even though you weren't playing the list that you initially had wanted to do, um, and it's also a you know, it's a I think it's a good statement on this is why even people who are at the top of the game like you, you still need your reps, you still need your practice. You can't just pick up a list the week before and expect to to do great things necessarily. Yeah, so. exactly. And I think that kind of brings us really well onto then like the next event I went to, which was the Leicester Super Major here in the UK. And um, I'd taken what I'd learned and stuck with the Black Templars because I had all those repetitions in with it. Um, decided to go for a different detachment. For, so I went from Iron Storm to Gladius. And do you know what? I absolutely loved my Leicester list. And my Leicester list, I ended up going four in one and I played against some amazing opponents uh, and it really was a really fantastic event. I went undefeated until the last round and I lost it on a um, on a dice roll of not killing a character. So uh, that would have won me the game, <laughs> um, but it was a great game and there's no, there's no way better to lose a game than such a tight game like that. So um, that was a guy against a guy called Jack. Um, and you know, credit to him, played it absolutely superbly with his sisters. So, um, yeah, on the whole, another great event. And I've took a lot away from that. And then obviously we've had this kind of in between time with the goal being the Las Vegas open, which as of recording is happening in literally five days. I'm due to fly out in three. So today's list submission in a few hours time, that is the deadline for list submission. And we've Based on the Leicester uh, results, it was kind of like, right, where do I go from here? And with everything that I now need to consider, we've got Necrons, we've got Admech are all out since uh, Leicester. So some massive changes and shakeups to what I might be facing at the LBO. So yeah, there's a lot to now think about before I submit my list tonight. Yeah. Yeah. You were, and you've been, um, you've, been spending in and amongst uh, in your breaks between work today you've just been working on your list uh yeah so it's just one of those things where you just got to keep tweaking and are you i'm assuming you're sticking to your rule of not changing more than 10 percent of your list from lester um well it had changed significantly but i think that's a good talking point and we've got a load of questions haven't we from so what, what i what i did was i put in our facebook group for the um competitive 40k podcast i said look this is the show we want to do. It's going to be about my preparation to the Las Vegas Open. What questions do you have? So a lot of the questions you're going to be hearing tonight are going to be from you listening back home. So thank you so, so much to everybody that has actually submitted a question. Dave, I know you've put them together. I don't know what order you've put them in, and I haven't even looked at your document. So uh, yeah, I'm just kind of leaving this over to you, mate. I'm in the hot seat. Let's do this. How to prepare for a tournament. Yeah. How to prepare for the Las Vegas Open. It's how to how do you prepare for the Las Vegas Open? Yep, that's pretty much it. So uh, before we do that, we will stop real quick. That should be the title of this show is how do you prepare for the biggest Warhammer event in the world? Uh, and that's probably what I would title it. We will see. Uh, but uh, before we get into all that, let's real quick stop for our second sponsor of the day, Color Forge. The Competitive 40K Podcast is supported by Color Forge. I found Color Forge 18 months ago and I was blown away by the quality of the product. I've always had an incredible finish, not too thick, not too chalky, and I've always had the perfect coverage in all kinds of weather conditions. 
the cans are around 25% larger and cheaper than most other brands on the market. All of the colors are matched to Citadel base color, so it makes that transition from rattle can to paints absolutely seamless. Check out www.thecolorforge.com to pick up your sprays today, along with a whole host of other awesome hobby products. All right, we are back. Uh Guys, don't forget to uh, sign up. Come join us at the Competitive Warhammer 40K community Facebook page. Uh, the password is still Imotech uh, for another week or two. And then we will change it when uh, probably after I get back from LBO. Um, but for now, password is still Imotech. And if you are a member of that Facebook page, you get to ask questions like all the ones I am about to hit Steve with. So uh, with that, the first one is from James Dutch Thomas. Uh, his question was, when constructing your lists, do you have any non-negotiables, foundational pillars that you always apply? If so, what are they? Okay, so this can depend on um, the army that I'm running. So let's take this one, Black Templars. I've got probably two non-negotiables. For me, a non-negotiable um, can come in different ways. There can be models that you love um, or, you know, characters that you like because of the law so for me i absolutely and then there's kind of i would say have to haves um so it's not really like a non-negotiable of a list in my mind is i love this character he has to be in it or she has to be in it regardless and then i've got like units i have to include because they're just too good not to take right like you auto include so i think i'm going to differentiate the, the between the two so Character number one, that is a non-negotiable, is my Sigismund, which is my converted Helbrecht model. So he's absolutely in the list is Helbrecht or Sigismund. Um, and if you, um, I've spent a long time converting this Sigismund model and I'm really happy with him. So if you do see me at LBO, come and say hello and uh, come and check out Sigismund. Um, and then also the other non-negotiable is the Emperor's Champion. So the Emperor's Champion has been and probably forever will be my favorite model of all time. Uh, back when I first started the game, he was like the classic Knight Templar. And for me, pretty much, I think the, the Emperor's Champion summarizes Warhammer 40,000 at its absolute best and is the reason why I probably play this game. So for me, he is my non-negotiable along with uh, Hellbrecht. Um, after that, then I've got units that I have to include. Um, so yeah, without... Hopefully that answers James's question about having non-negotiables. But yeah, I certainly have auto-include units as well that I'm definitely taking because, for example, Sword Brethren, I love the models. I think they look so cool. Um, I spent a long time painting them. So yeah, help as many Sword Brethren as possible also go in the list. Okay. Um, and then um, Julian Louder asked, when playtesting your list before an event, have you ever come across a situation where you found the list to be too unfun for your opponent? to play against and have you changed it accordingly? And then if so, how do you maintain that balance between having an optimal list, but not making something people won't play, won't enjoy playing against? Yeah. So I like an army that interacts. Um, and I think this army by nature does that. Um, I know even from writing a list, how abusive it will be and how interactive. So I just don't write in uninteractive lists. It's not something I'll enjoy doing. So I want an army and a list that people can really try and get their head around beating and killing. It was one of the reasons why um, back in the beginning of the edition when I was playing Gene Stealer Cult, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, so it wasn't a list that I enjoyed too much after a while. It kind of came very repetitive. 
and some armies just didn't have an answer to it. So I kind of fell out of love with playing that. But um, this Black Templars list, I feel like, does have a lot of play. It dies very, very easily. Um, it looks super cool on the table as well. Um, and hopefully everybody I've played with it, whether they've won, lost or drawn against me, has had a good game. And that's really the most important thing. So that is certainly something I keep in mind because, you know, I'm not, for example, uh, truth be told, like if I would not run five Catans and 18 Wraiths, which I know is going to be unfun for me and my opponent. It's just very, very uninteractive. It's not an army that I would run because it's not something that I think anybody would enjoy playing against. Yeah, I played into that list last weekend. It is not fun to play into. And my opponent was a perfectly nice guy. It was just, you know, all right, I I have to deal with all these wraiths. And by the time I've dealt with them through very dense terrain, oh, here come the Void Dragon and the Nightbringer to pick up the rest of my army. Yeah. It's, I've played into that. Um, so in playtesting, because uh, myself and Ben, who were going to the LVO, me and him had a weekend together just practicing games. Um, and we had basically... He ran it against, he ran that list against my Black Templars. I got a, a nice little victory there. Um, a little bit of tech, actually, that we found is the Sword Brethren, interestingly, have the same rule as Melter. So although they half damage the Catans, the Sword Brethren add the damage on after, which is really cool, making them an even more reason why I have to take the Sword Brethren, which is cool, because they get around that damage mitigation a little bit. Um, but more to the point, so we had a game. And it was unfun for Ben to play. He didn't enjoy using it. I didn't really enjoy playing against it. And then after that, I ran it against him with one of his lists. I then ran World Eaters against him um, and then just kept running different lists in to help him find the list he was. So I think I ran that and I played that Necron list twice myself into his different armies he was considering taking. So um, he was thinking of taking World Eaters or Salamanders. He couldn't quite decide. Um, and we've come up with a really cool salamanders list for him, which is super fun. Um, and uh, yeah, but getting two repetitions in with that list wasn't something that I personally enjoyed. Other people do. That's absolutely fine and up to them. But for me, it wasn't to my liking. And that's, you know, we're all different and that's OK. Yeah, maybe a good. Uh, so then maybe a good answer to Julian's question is um, play it into a couple of friends and ask them if they enjoyed playing into the list. Did they feel challenged? Did they feel like they had a chance or did it was it just a snooze fest of art. Right, I'll just stand here while you roll dice and I pick up my models. Yeah. Something like that. It's also, it's actually one of the reasons why I don't like Angron in a world eaters list because Angron can literally win you a game. If you roll three sixes, I feel like that game is too swingy based on dice rolls. Um, and again, some people love that. Some people absolutely love the crazy dice rolls can win them a game. But for me, I don't necessarily, I don't like having a game come down to, like a very, very random dice roll, um, such which then has such a massive swing. We're not talking like, oh, you know, I needed to roll in advance and I didn't quite get it or whatever, and it was really tight. This is a huge swing because Angron can come back multiple times versus maybe like, you know, not at all or just the once. And that's for me the reason why I don't like Angron in a World Eaters list because of that reason. It's, yeah, can be quite an interactive. Yeah. Yeah, when 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 Angron gets into your lines and you're just you know all right, how many of my models do you want me to pick up now? It's there's nothing you can do about it. It's you know oh I killed him oh he's back and now he's just going to finish killing my army. It's and then it could even happen again. This is not fun. You know it can then happen again. You know so right. quickly. So yeah. All right. Uh, next question is from Corvillic Death Touched. 
how much do your travel arrangements adjust your list building, if at all? I know the answer to this question from last year at LVO, but go for it. Yeah, so massively, um, they really do. So I'm looking at a list that basically I know that I can pack in a very small hand luggage bag. You know, I wouldn't be able to travel with a huge orc army with lots and lots of trucks. Um, you know, I want to be able to travel pretty light. I want to be able to travel with not only my clothes. I'm, you know, I'm going to Las Vegas, then New Orleans for a few days. So clothes is going to take up majority of my suitcase. I don't want to have to fill that with models. Um, so again, it, it really does take up a lot of room. So the army that I'm taking is the biggest two things are two land raiders. Luckily they are chunky as anything and they, uh, they don't really get damaged. And then I've got some infantry models that are easy to put in a little bit of foam and will fit quite comfortably. So yeah, they really do have a significant impact on the, the travel arrangements. In the past, I've had to, because of um, the capacity I had, put my army in a lunchbox. I remember one year I literally came over to the LVO with um yeah everything and all my blood angels in a lunchbox, basically. So it really does impact. And that is something that you have to factor in. And uh, alongside that as well is you've got to factor in, and I don't know if this is a question, sorry if I'm already ruining it, but factoring in how long it takes me to play that army, uh, because I don't want to be playing six, maybe more games. If every single game is going to take the full three hours and there's a potential I'm going to clock out, I need to make sure I can finish my games timely so I can actually enjoy some time with my opponent either before and after and not feel like it's a constant slog fest to get through where I'm exhausted. I'm, I know already that I'm going to be jet lagged for a few days. Um, I'm going to be uh, wanting to explore Vegas, go out, you know, have a great time, socialize, meet people. I've got to run the workshop. Um, you know, again, these are all things that are going to take probably a priority over playing. So when I actually get there, I need an army that I know inside out. I don't have to look up any rules. And um, ultimately, I can just kind of play it very quickly as well. Yeah. Um, also, uh, if you do want to play a faction that's got a higher model count, make sure you invest well in foam or something similar that will, or magna racks or something that will transport your stuff safely because, and then still bring a lot of super glue because I've glued a lot of uh, Celestian Sacrosanct spears and halberds back together uh, at the end of travel when my wife and I get to an event when we fly to Dallas, when we fly to Vegas and things are broken. So, um, Oh, I would yeah. not travel with sacrosants. They would just stay at home. They wouldn't even make my list because they have oh. reasons like that, unless I'm willing for them all to be just horrifically mutilated by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why like we, um, we're magneting Shauna's gargoyles and then everything else in her list is either a big bug or something that's small that fits really well in a foam. And so it's like, everything's going to be very carefully packed. I think we will have far fewer breakages this year. Um, and that was a big consideration yeah. too. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Next question. Derek Wilson, what advice do you have to help speed up gameplay for tournaments? Okay. So my biggest advice, I mean, there's a few things really is number one, spam your units. Okay. Um, so although you could take different units, you could take different weapons. Don't bother. Just take the same units. Um, why is that important? And the reason is because that's less data sheets for you to remember. That's less army abilities you have to take. For example, I've got three units of scouts. I could put a sniper rifle in every single unit. I could put a heavy bolter in every single unit. I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to have a unit of scouts, and one of them is going to have the shotgun. 
so I can advance and cleanse an objective or something. I am not going to waste my time trying to figure out different weapons because it takes too long. Um, I will often not bother shooting half of my weapons in my army because they're not going to do anything significant and I'm wasting valuable time. You know, if I'm not going to think a hand flame is going to do anything into a, an army or a unit with more than toughness four and with a three or two up save, I probably won't bother firing it because I know it's not going to do anything in the significant grand scheme of things. Um, maybe a model's on a wound left. Maybe I've got a little bit of time. Sure. Um, so number one, I limit the weapon options I give my models to make sure that they're all the same as often as I possibly can for speed rolling. Number two, I take as many units of the same type as I possibly can. So it's less data sheets for me to remember when it's on the day. And also I get familiar with what that unit is expecting to do. So when I'm there, I know, cool, I've, and this is like the, the best analogy I can probably give you is if you take a unit once, you might be lucky if it moves once, or you might be lucky if it moves five times, shoots five times, charges five times, and in combat five times, right? You might be lucky. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So. However, if you take three units like that, well, you could be moving 15 times, you could be shooting 15 times, you could be, you know, charging in in combat 15 times. Well, after game one, you're going to have a lot of data. You're going to have a lot of understanding of, okay, which unit did I shoot and it didn't do anything? Which unit did I shoot and it actually was significant? Which unit did I charge and do some damage? So what is the predicted outcome? So in my next time, I'm in that same predicament or decision-making tree, cool, I know I charge here, or I know I don't bother. In fact, I'm better off just cleansing this objective than I am trying to charge that unit, because I know I'm not going to kill anything, and I'll probably lose more models in return, so I'm better off staying where I am, cleansing the objective, scoring some points. So you become a lot more um, like in tune with your army. Everything becomes a lot more cerebral, is that the right word, when you just understand exactly what you can expect from your units, um, and that's going to massively speed up play. Especially if we're something like frontline where it's player place terrain, I'm going to have a game plan for where the terrain's going to go against a combat army or against a shooting army on each deployment map. Um, I'm also going to know exactly what I'm going to do and where I'm going to deploy. Because for me, again, that's going to take out a huge amount of decision making. Uh, the UKTC here, I will know exactly where I'm deploying all of my units on every single deployment map before I go to the tournament. So then I don't even need to look where my opponent's deployed. The only interaction might be if you've got scouts or infiltrators, but aside from that, it's rinse, repeat. It's less things for me to consider. Um, yeah, just these are all ways that you can pretty much speed up your gameplay. And then also at the table, you can do things like be active, like have dice in your hand, watch how your opponent's rolling. Okay, cool. They've got, they're about to make, they've just made four hits. Cool. I'll get four dice ready because if they wound all four, I can just roll four saves. I'm not asking every time. How many wounds have I got to make? I'm, I'm active. I've got them in my hand. You've rolled two wounds. I've rolled two saves. It's like super, super quick. You know, I'm, I'm constantly active in, you know, to some extent that's like a level of fitness that I think can also help. And I think there's a massive bit that probably we could go into in a lot more details about like your performance and fitness at the table, especially over a tournament. Cause that will really speed up your gameplay if you're on the ball with everything that you're doing. Yeah, which leads up uh, really nicely into the next question from Oopsie Viking, which is, what things do you take with you to a big event nutrition-wise? Do you have any suggestions to help support endurance through multiple games? Besides monsters, Steve. Um, to be quite honest, if you're trying to um, use nutrition on the day, 
it's too late. It's just too late. There's minimal that you can really do to affect your performance at the table on the day. Um, to be honest, like providing that you're hydrated, you don't really need food. Um, I don't anyway need too much food on the day of trying to do anything. Um, you know, ultimately a good diet comes up to the weeks leading, uh, you know, by having good, uh, macronutrient and micronutrient profiles so to make sure that you've got good amounts of protein, good fiber, good veggies. You know, you've got loads of sleep as best as you possibly can in the weeks leading. Uh, you've done lots of exercise and you're at a point where you're cardiovascularly quite fit. That's going to make sure that on the day, providing that you're hydrated, you can actually go to that tournament in providing you know if there's any foods that upset you, avoid those at all costs. You don't want to be you know, there with IBS or something crazy like that, or really bad indigestion or, you know, gas or anything, that's just really unpleasant. So sure, avoid those foods that you know might not, you know, uh, lend itself best to you. And especially for me, this can be super hard because I can sometimes suffer from things like IBS. And also, um, especially when I'm in America, there's all these great foods I want to try and eat, but you have to be really disciplined. <laughs> I do. I, I have to be really disciplined in the days leading to make sure I don't eat something that's going to, you know, upset my stomach on the day. So yeah, caffeine, great hydration, great protein bars, pretty good. Um, fruit, excellent choice, easy to keep in your bag. Uh, and they're easy to snack on. Um, and then also you've got that, that other added benefit of like, if you are trying to eat at a tournament, don't eat crisps and things like that where you're getting like your fingers really salty or smelly and you're then touching your models, sharing dice. It's just not cool. So you want to eat foods as well. I think that are uh, not going to offend your opponent, basically. There we go. Yeah. Don't make a mess. You know, don't have Dorito chips uh, uh, fragments yeah. scattered all over the table. That's that's messy and it's just it's mm -hmm. not polite. It's not professional. Yeah. I, I keep a, a bunch of. Um, protein or not uh, some just uh, like a couple of protein bars and a couple of regular granola bars and i'll just graze on those throughout the day i mean that's what i did at worlds right you and i went shopping i bought monsters and i bought protein bars and you know we had breakfast yeah. went off to the worlds so i had literally a you know a protein bar and then for lunch i had things like you know a subway which I'm, I'm kind of fine with which is you know some sort of things i'm familiar with back here in the uk i went for something low fat I uh, went for more of a whole grain uh, based uh, baguette. But apart from that, I know I can tolerate all those foods really, really well. I know I have good energy off them. There's no point in having a massive meal where you're going to feel really sluggish, end up in a carb coma and just not being able to function. So it's really key that you you do consider that. But like I said, a lot of that comes in weeks leading. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and don't go at the first lunch break on day one of a tournament and get smashed drunk. Mm. You come back, you're not a good opponent, you're slurring your words, you can't stand still, and you're going to make bad choices at the table. So it's just, I've seen a lot of people go out and, and drink at lunch and they're like, oh, it's a party or the people that get like the buckets of beers delivered to their table or whatever at, at big events. I can't stand that. It drives me crazy. I'm like, are we here to play 40K? Are we here to, you know, get drunk and make an ass of ourselves? So, and that certainly is not, you know, alcohol is not going to contribute to your cognitive processes from a nutrition standpoint either. So, I mean, this is what I find really interesting is that, um, you'll get people that talk the, you know, oh yeah, this is more efficient and 
this is the best list in blah de blah de blah talk so much about it and then start drinking alcohol it like there's literally like saying oh i've got this really good list but i'm just going to play 1200 points no right no. <laughs> it doesn't make sense so sure have a beer you know if that's if somebody says hey can i buy you a beer and if that's something you want to do have a beer but it, there is something to be said about the conduct that you will put yourself in if you are, you know, inebriated, right? You're not going to necessarily be a great opponent every single time. The consistency in your behavior, the consistency in how you react to things, even like the way that you move in, you know, it's just not necessarily a great way to conduct yourself um, against other people. So yeah, try and, you know, go, hey, I'll have one, maybe two, but that's it you know, really understand your tolerances yeah. to alcohol. I think it's key. Yeah. I mean, like day one of, of whenever you and I are at a tournament together, like we'll play our three games and then we go out to dinner. We'll both have drinks at dinner, but we yeah. don't get drunk. We don't go out, of, get out of control. And, and then we don't drink during the tournament and then we'll hydrate afterwards. So, yeah. yeah. You know, there was a tournament when, um, I, I just got back from LVO and we had an Academy launch. I'd work so many hours. Me and, uh, Chris went celebrating, at, at one of the tournaments like on the kind of first night it was like a late start on the second day and uh yeah i got way too drunk you know people were buying me drinks i was my head wasn't in playing anyway i think i was already like off the back of lvo um you know my just head wasn't in it and i really wanted just to chill out and basically celebrate um so basically yeah i rocked up and got too drunk so the next day I was like, I'm not going to be in a good place where I can be a good opponent. So I'm going to take myself out of the competition because there was no need to put that on anybody. Absolutely not. And it, you know, the event was better for it that I didn't attend regardless of how well I may have yeah. done. It doesn't matter. There's other tournaments and I'm glad I made that decision. And I'm sure that my opponents that I might have faced were also glad that I made that decision too. So if you're not being a great opponent for whatever reason, just remove yourself from the event and uh, focus on being a great opponent. Yeah. First RTT I ever went to in ninth edition. Um, I can still remember my second opponent of that event went out at lunch, had a bunch of beer, got drunk, came back. I was a complete ass to play against. And it was, uh, I, I remember the dude's name. I remember the experience. It was not a ple pleasant experience. And if I see him at events, I really don't want to play against him because that's something that sticks in your memory. So if you, you want people to, to you're going to continually see the same people at events. So whether it's local or you're traveling for an event, you're going to keep seeing, we're, we're a fairly small community, even globally, you're going to see the same yeah. people. So also keep that in mind that you want to be a good opponent. You don't want people to remember, oh, that dude's a lush or that, that person's got a drinking problem or that person's not, a, you know, goes out and has too much or, you know, ties one on at yeah. lunch and comes back and is, you know, not fun to play against. So, all right, enough of that. Moving on. Next question. Odin Lane Strand. Hope you pronounced that correctly. Uh, how do you approach gambits and in what way would you change them to make them a more competitive choice? He says, I love the idea of the gambits, but it seems like they have yet to be seen as a viable option in competitive play. So what was the first part of that question? How do you approach or, or what do you think of the gambits and in what way would you change them to make them a more competitive choice? Right. Well, how do I approach him? Quite truthfully, is I remove from my, from my deck. And Agreed. I've tried them once. Meh. Do you know why? Because it's 
a potential decision tree, I, if I'm thinking about, oh, am I going to gambit? Am I not? Which gambit might I get? For me, this is a whole host of decisions that I don't want to be making. Like I've already told you, like I like to keep it simple. Like me, it's all about kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. I am not the most intelligent Warhammer player. I can only make so many decisions in a day. And the more times I can get rid of decisions like that and over, you know, complexities of it, then the better. I think gambits are fantastic for, you know, casual play where you might be like, oh, you know, I'm kind of out of this. But if I can get a gambit, maybe I can bring it back. Hey, that's kind of cool for just you and your mates when you're, you know, playing a game over five hours. But um, at a tournament, I don't see the validity in them necessarily. Um, I don't personally like them. I also think it encourages somebody to absolutely destroy and punish their opponent so that they can't gambit against them rather than just easing off the gas a bit. So um, I actually think it's, um, I understand why they're brought in from the game. I understand the purpose of them. I just don't think it has the effect that um, Games Workshop are intending. That's intended. Yeah. It's intended for people to have a chance to get back into the game. And I think what it actually does is means that if you're winning the game, you can't take your foot off the gas. You've just got to, you know, go for the throat, basically, uh, and keep the pressure on so they physically cannot gambit, so physically can't get back into the game. So I don't think it's necessarily needed, personally, at competitive tournaments. Yeah, I think that... And and the cool thing about the gambits is that they are... somewhat fluffy in their in their concept like an emergency withdrawal you realize you're losing and you got to get all your guys off the the table or whatever um so i feel like and i and i am not saying this to slam crusader narrative play i feel like they're better suited for for crusader for narrative play because they have a narrative aspect to them that suit that works better there and and i love narrative games i want to i'm i'm hoping to to go play in the narrative uh at the uh, world championships next year. I want to play in the narrative because it looks like so much fun. Um, so I think gambits are better suited for that. I don't think they're a good choice for, for competitive play for all the reasons you just listed. Yeah. Like quite honestly, um, like universal special rules are great. Well, we've got like this word that describes a certain, you know, rule interaction. I couldn't even tell yeah. you. I could tell you probably in the game at the moment, what most of the stratagems are and what they do. I couldn't tell you their names, though. I certainly couldn't tell you the bit of fluff that's underneath it. A lot of the way that I play the game is filtering out decisions and things I don't need to understand. If I don't need to know it, there is no point trying to retain that information. Um, And this game is, I would say, more so in 10th edition than ever before in any other edition. This game is about how much you can physically remember. This is a knowledge game now, not necessarily, I would say, ninth edition. There was like a higher skill acquisition in the game that needed to be unlocked through certainly in the combat phase. And there were certainly some interactions where, you know, people like, I'm not even sure what you've just done there. I don't even understand that with wrapping and trapping and eighth edition was even worse for that. But I feel like 10th edition is about how much you can remember. And this is where you... You know, that needs to be a high skill level that you have is how much information you can recall. So don't try and recall information you don't need to. It's just a waste of time. Fair. All right. Uh, next one is uh, Ewan Omegon. 
He said, uh, what do you do to stay more alert, awake during the games, especially the last or later games? He says, I personally bring some sort of energy drink with me to boost myself, and I bring some candy like chocolate um, just to be more focused. Yeah, so no- um, he's that way I get less cranky. Number one is hydration. You, your focus will drop if you're dehydrated. Um, a really good tip here for hydration is wake up in the morning, drink water until your urine is clear, and you want to keep clear urine throughout the day. Okay, um, you're better off peeing more frequently and making sure that you're uh, well hydrated than being underhydrated, thinking, "Oh, I can't go for a wee. What if I want to Overwatch?" Um, go for a go to the bathroom um but yeah um stay hydrated and then normally i will have a energy drink in the morning or a coffee in the morning and then i'll have an energy drink around um three o'clock or something typically i try and avoid having an energy drink any later than that because it will probably affect my sleep um unless obviously i'm trying to get around jet lag in which i might be deliberately trying to extend a bit of caffeine because caffe- caffeine basically has like uh how's the best way to describe this like imagine like a high that you're on and it takes a little bit of time to come off that high um so caffeine works quite similarly to that effect where it needs to drop off to a certain level before you know you'll be able to sleep properly so um you know it can take a fair few hours for that to really happen. So I try to avoid drinking caffeine any later than two or three o'clock unless I'm jet lagged in which I'm going to try and delay it. So therefore I can start to, um, you know, curse my body clock to stay awake for a little bit longer and therefore fall into a normal sleep routine, especially if I'm flying over the Atlantic to your way, because my body is going to want to wake up early at like five in the morning but then I'm going to be yeah. super tired about seven. So I might use caffeine to try and push my bedtime to like nine, 10 o'clock and then hopefully just have one good night's sleep and then fall back into a better time zone. Yeah. Yeah. You, you were jet lagged for a couple of days when you were here at my place. Mm. It took, it took a while to, to rebalance. So yeah. All right. Um, Alex Frey, it's not exactly a game question. He said, why is Garagax sewer the best Brown expecting an independent analysis and breakdown? I had to look that one up. I it's a it's one of the I guess newer brown contrast paints. I haven't used it yet, so I have no opinion. Do you mean Cygol? No, it's Garagax Sewer. G A R A G H A K. Garagax. No clue. Sorry. I had to look it up. Yeah. Haven't tried Sorry, it. Sorry, Alex. Got nothing for I you. Haven't tried it, but I will. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then Daniel Higdon. In relation to travel prep, how do you pack minis to limit damage? Do they go in a carry-on? What do you bring for repairing minis? Uh, so I won't bother bringing glue because somebody will have it. Um, and what I will do, though, is, I mean, when I travel to Atlanta to see you, I put foam in the bottom of my suitcase and then just put all my clothes on it and then packed it pretty full. And it was absolutely fine. I think um, a dreadnought arm may have popped off and that's about it. Like That was the only breakages I had. But I used foam in the bottom of my case um if i'm and that was because i had lots of vehicles if i didn't take as many vehicles i probably would just put it in my hand luggage this year i probably want to fly over with just a uh, rucksack um and i need to look at my you know every flight can be different with what you're allowed to take whether it's like a personal item and a hand luggage item and a i hate to be honest i hate traveling with stuff so normally the least amount i can pack the better yeah so i'll probably just put it in my case and then yeah, put it in like a compartment in my case, yeah. Uh, go online, uh, 
Daniel, for um, I know in the U.S. we've got um, Battle Foam is a good company. Um, they've got magnet racks and they've got um, special laser cut foam. They have stuff that's like unique and specific for each faction too. Mm-hmm. So like you can get really specific stuff. You can do custom foam layouts and all that kind of stuff. I actually just ordered a, a single custom tray for Shauna's Winged Hive Tyrant and two of her other models to to fit them in. To be fair to f- uh, Frontline Gaming, their army bag is one of the best I've ever used. Yeah. Yeah, really they is. have a good... I don't, I don't know if they have the custom foam, but their bags are real good. So yeah, the foam you just pop but, out. So I actually think, and I think it is travel size, but so I actually genuinely think the Frontline Gaming bag is probably the best one I've ever used so so far without spending a huge amount of money either. Okay. You know, it's like great price point for what you get. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I do travel with super glue just cause we got in the habit of have, like I said, having to repair a lot of sisters of battle in the hotel, the, the night before the tournament, when we arrive, um, the, but more than, even more than super glue, get a little tiny spray bottle of super glue activator. That stuff is God's gift to hobbyists. Cause you, you being, you know, super glue is fine, but you don't want to sit there holding the this the yeah. blade from a power sword on the hilt, hoping you're holding it stre- steady enough to wait for it to for the glue to bond for five minutes, and then you only have eight more of those to do, and then maybe you got a dreadnought arm and uh, super glue activator. It stuff's miracle. Just got this fear of the super glue exploding on my clothes, and that would annoy me a lot more than having broken models when I get there because my clothes is more expensive than my yeah. warhammer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and well, let's see, and I, because the, the bag that I carry with all my models in it, I just put it, there's like a little side pouch and I just put the super glue in there. So if it breaks, sure. Nah, yeah. No big deal. Fair It'll enough, just yeah. glue part of the bag shut, which I haven't had that problem yet. Thank God. All right. That is it for um, the questions from listeners. I hope you guys got something out of that. I hope you, we, we answer everybody's questions appropriately. Um, Alex, we'll get back to you on that Brown. Um, all right, so we're going to stop real quick for our third sponsor of the day, Siege Studios, and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about LVO Prep, and then we'll get out of here. So we'll be right back. And now for a word from our sponsor, Siege Studios. They are the experts in providing professional miniature painting services, ensuring your armies always look their best on the battlefield. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, Siege Studios can help bring your miniatures to life. Don't miss out on their quality craftsmanship. All right, guys, we are back. We're going to talk real quick. Um, some LVO uh, prep stuff. Uh, so, Steve, you're bringing Black Templars. I'm bringing my towel. Um, if you guys see my wife, she will be in her jersey at LVO. Uh, go check out her Tyranids. She has worked really hard to paint those Tyranids. I think they look freaking amazing. Uh, her color scheme is amazing. They're all supposed to be coming up out of the beach. She's eventually going to do a display board. Go check out her models. They look great. Um, what for a, for a big event or even just a... so. Let's just say a, a big event, like a major or super major. Do you think there's what's the, what do you think is the the requisite number of reps to get in with your list, Steve, before you're an event without making any changes? Um. Okay, so I think what would I want? At least ten, at least ten reps. Okay. Um, you know, I think that's going to put you in a really good uh, place. I think. To put a good showing in, of course you can do it unless. Um, if I was thinking about even before those repetitions that I get in, I'm still going to know that army well. Like I would have played it a lot before to understand. Even before I get to my practice games, I pretty much want to understand 80 to 90% of all the units. I want to know what their data sheets do, you know, 
You can ask me how many attacks they've got. I'll tell you the toughness. Everything's on like memory recall even before I start practicing. Because if you're trying to practice with an army, yet you're spending most of that in the stage of uh, acquisition of learning, then you're not really being able to critically reflect on those aspects because you're still in the, a phase in which you're trying to understand actually what's happening. You can't really put it through any test because you may not have put it in the right environment for it to even be a test in the first place. Okay. It's fine to do that with maybe 10 to 20% of your list. Sure. Try a new unit, see how it performs, but you need to understand the overall play style of an army. You need to understand, you know, is it very fast and mobile? Is it going to score objectives particularly well? Is it going to, um, you know, hold primary? Is it going to sabotage primary? What is the overall play style of that list like? Because then what you can start to do is place units into a list and see if it actually is going to strengthen that play style or weaken it. Or is it going to work with it or work against it? Is there going to cause friction because of those units that you've added in? Or actually, is it going to work quite um, harm, you know, in harmony? And therefore, those practice games and those repetitions are really going to help you understand, okay, cool, this is the army list construct. And now what I need to do is put it through a series like the gauntlet, really, of all the different meta lists. So, you know, at the moment, you want to be playing it into things like Eldar, you want to play into World Eaters, you want to play it into 18 Raves and 5 Catans, um, you know, you want to play it into Vanguard Marines. Like, these are the very common lists at the moment. So, you need to put your list through a place where it's ready even before you get to those the gauntlet, so to speak, because that's when you're going to understand, ah, oh, I should have put this model this many inches away from here, or I'm really missing this aspect in my list, or do you know what? I played this too cagey, or I played it too aggressively, and in fact, I should have played that differently. But until your list is sorted and finalized, you're not actually going to be able to utilize any of that information because you'll be making so many different changes in all those games. Sure, they will help inform you, but my point is, sure, you can get test games in and change your list. But what I would really love to see is people be comfortable with a list and understand this is exactly what you're going to take because these are the models that you're going to be able to get painted in time and you're really comfortable with how it, you know, the playstyle of the army, you understand, you know, how many secondaries that it gives up, you know, how well it plays the mission and then put it through the gauntlet. So then you can actually understand how you deploy it. Do you play aggressive? Do you play cagey? And that is when you'll be in a position where you can actually get to the table with a lot more confidence. And this is exactly what we teach you on the academy is how to do everything I've just said in a really methodical way so that you can really get the most from your army. Cool. Uh, let's see. Next question I had for you was, oh, so building on that question is, um, do you do any last minute revisions or do you just stick exclusively with what you practice? Okay. So um, me, obviously I went from my Leicester GT list and to tell you what that is, it was a captain, uh, sorry, a marshal with the honor of aiming. Uh, it's a gladius detachment for Black Templars. Um, Hellbrecht, a Judaser, a Librarian in Phobos armor, the Emperor's Champion, five Assault Intercessors, six Centurion Devastators, five Infiltrators, two Land Raiders, three Nissa Saw Brethren, and three Nissa Scouts. Um, and then after looking a lot at the current meta, 
I know that the six aggressors with uh, a biologus and the fire di- or storm fire storm of fire or some sort of enhancement. I can't remember what it's called. Basically, gives you sustained on fives and sixes and lethal on fives and sixes when you're in a certain uh, doctrine. I know that's a really powerful build, and I know it's very good into the wraiths and katans. However, it requires a 14-man capacity of a. So that meant I needed to take my land raider to a redeemer. And because that's such a big points investment, I needed to not only drop three centurions, but I also had to drop some scouts and some mission playing pieces to fit that in. And to really get the most out of that, and I tried and tried and tried, and it worked well against the Necrons. But after playing against the Necrons and playing it into lots of different lists, I just felt like that unit, although it is powerful and it's good, it wasn't right for me. And it's great on paper. However, for me, it also means. It was working against the playstyle that I like, which is to have my combat units in the transports. It f- was forcing me to take a different type of transport. It was then taking out that long-range firepower that the list is built around in order to pop enemy transports. So this one unit that I changed had such a significant change on my army list. Um, and it was literally today I had a game against World Eaters and... I had played against Votan, against Jake on stream on Wednesday, and I just played another game against Space Marines, the Ironstorm Detachment, and I just come to the conclusion that the aggressors are not a unit for me. They're good, they're strong, and I'm sure other people can use them, but it doesn't fit with my playstyle or with my units. And what I was trying to basically do is put a round object in a square hole. It's not happening. Like this, it's just not the right fit. So what I've done after you know considerable deliberation um, is I've literally gone back to my Leicester list and it's pretty much exactly the same. Um, I did feel like the unit of six centurions um, was either sometimes overkill or couldn't quite get the angles that I wanted. So I've actually dropped those to two units of three now. Um, and after a really good performance at Leicester, then I should just keep with it. So I don't need to you know, yes, maybe the game into Necrons isn't quite as good without the aggressors, but actually what I'm gaining is I'm gaining a huge amount of experience and an army that I absolutely love. I love the models. Um, I love the way that it plays. And to me, that's much more important. So um, should you make changes? You know, yeah, you should tweak and tailor and, you know, consider the meta, but the meta shouldn't be necessarily something that you hold yourself to either to chase it or to constantly think about trying to beat it because sure I might bring this perfect list to kill Necrons but I'm only playing six games and the likelihood of playing Necrons is actually pretty low so am I taking an army that I'm not really happy with I'm not amazingly comfortable playing just for this one matchup because it is the boogeyman list instead I should take an army that I absolutely love that I know inside out and I'm probably going to do better across more environments than and against more factions and against more armies and against more players than just that one. So um, yeah, I've just gone back to that list that I really enjoy the most. And that's kind of what I always try to encourage people when I have like a one-to-one coaching call with them. And, you know, especially on the academy, our methodologies there is all about getting the most from the models that you own rather than feeling like you really have to kind of chase and conform to the meta. Cool. Yep. Um we can talk about travel arrangements, hotel accommodations. It's very simple. Make sure you have your travel arrangements set up well in advance. So you know where you're going. Are you taking an Uber? Are you taking a Lyft? Get it scheduled. 
Um, we we kind of talked about. I was going to also talk about traveling with. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So don't do it, Jake. And real Jake was like, "So what time are we leaving on Monday?" I was like, "We're leaving on Tuesday, mate." He was like, "What?" He was like, "I thought we we're going on Monday." I was like, "Well, you can if you want, but you'll be at Heathrow Airport for a day, so <laughs> I'm coming Tuesday." Heathrow's lovely, but um, you'll be bored. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so yeah, make sure you know what day you're leaving. Looking at you, Jake. Um, uh, make sure he, you know, um, you know, you have your hotel accommodations, all that kind of stuff squared away. Just the more, I think just to exactly what you've been saying this whole episode is, you know, you want to ease the mental load on yourself so that you have as much resource, mental resource available to play the game as possible. So have all this stuff planned out as far in advance as possible. So you have as little stress as possible, getting on your plane, getting your stuff, getting your models packed, getting the, to the, to your destination, getting to your hotel. Knowing where, if, if you if you're not staying in the same hotel where the event's taking place, know where how many you know are you gonna have to take an Uber or a taxi? Can you walk there every day? All yeah. that kind of stuff. Like you're not staying in the Rio at LVO, yep. But you're gonna be stashing all your models in my room so that you don't have to carry them back and forth every day. Like that's yeah. So that's you one less it. thing that you have to stress about. So obviously, as well, you need to plan to come to the workshop. That's really yes. important. And by the way. There are still tickets left to the LVO workshop. My point is, get your tickets for the workshop. It's going to be absolutely awesome. There's still tickets available, and we're going for dinner after if you get the VIP ticket and you get all the swag. Um, it also includes a one-to-one coaching call. So normally we do that prior to list submission, but we can have that after, um, you know, when I'm back in the UK. So you can actually do like a, a tournament analysis with me. And that's really effective for you to critically think about any further um, iterations of your list and where you go from there. So, you know, the VIP ticket is still available. The normal ticket is still available. Get on the workshop. And also I'm going to be having a few flyers on me. And if you come and see me, uh, for a flyer about the academy, then there's going to be a nice little treat on there because you will get early bird access to the next academy and you can get your space before tickets go live. Uh, so how it's going to work with the academy is people here LVO that come and see me or at the stand that we've got, there'll be a flyer, take a flyer and all the information you need to grab your space on the academy is going to be then. Then after that, Tickets will go on sale, uh, I think, the beginning week of the 21st for people that are on the pre-order list, okay? So you need to be on the waiting list in order to get that. There's also a nice little bonus in there as well or benefit for being on that waiting list. And then after a week, tickets are going to go on general sale for the Academy. And then four weeks will be, uh, basically, the enrollment will be open until the course starts. And I believe the course starts on, I think, the last week of February or the first week of March, um, one of those. But yeah, the next Academy enrollment is opening soon. We haven't been open for like eight months now. So it's going to be absolutely fantastic, especially with the live lessons, the coaches that we have. There's like five to six live lessons a week, plus all the pre-recorded, the hundred videos I've already mentioned that are all pre-recorded, taking you through every phase of the game. I'll do some more, um, you know, chatting about it, but come and see me at LVO. Come and say hello to me or Jake or the rest of the team, Dave. We love meeting you all. We really, really do. Um, even if you feel a bit awkward. So I know some people are like, oh, Steve, I feel a bit awkward speaking to you. Please just do because um, we love meeting you. We really do. So yeah, I can't wait to see great. you at LVO. Guys, do not hesitate to come up. If you see one of us, come up and say hi. We love talking to people. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're there to socialize. We're there to talk about our favorite hobbies. So 
you know. Yeah. And you don't, even to come to the workshop, uh, which is on the day before the LVO, you don't even need to be playing in the main event. You can just come to the workshop and learn, you know, how to basically prepare for a tournament. So if you've loved this episode and you want to know more in depth and been shown on the table how to wield your army, just come to the workshop. We've had people come to Mm -hmm. the Texas workshop and be like, I just came for the workshop and then wish they had entered. And actually I managed to get them a ticket and they entered the tournament and then went like three, uh, one lad went four and two um, after doing the workshop. I was like, this is awesome. So um, it's happening on the Thursday, I think like 2 p.m. kickoff in Las Vegas at the Rio. Come to the workshop. Tickets are still available. You can get them from the Frontline Gaming web store. Boom. Be there. Exactly. See you there. And then the last note is don't forget to pack all of your other gear too. Um, if you're bringing a cart or a trolley, don't do, don't forget that. But make sure you do you make sure you have your dice, your clock, your cheat sheets, your codex, your data sheet cards, all your measuring tools. Plan all of those things ahead of time. Your mission, mission cards, cards for sure. Yeah, you definitely need those. Spare pair yeah. pants. Also, speaking about mission cards, we got a nice, real simple uh, solution for a lot of people. Before the game starts, hold up your, your, if you're playing tactical missions, hold up your deck, count your cards out for your opponent so you know, so they know you've got 16 cards. You should be having 16 cards. If your opponent yeah. says, I'm not going to do that, ask to count their cards at that point because they should happily count out yeah. their cards. They go, yep, I got 16 too. So there's none of that shenanigans of, of, doubling up on cards or having not enough or whatever yeah 100 percent. all right cool well i think that pretty much uh summarizes it right yep i think that covers it ladies and gentlemen thank you for giving us your time and your attention uh i'm so excited to see you uh next week brother it's gonna be great to to hang out for a few days um next episode we will probably do an lvo recap uh but i we obviously all know that um because gw already previewed those awesome new inner circle companion models which oh my god those models are gorgeous um Obviously, Dark Angels is right around the corner, so there will probably, maybe possibly, theoretically, I don't know, be a Codex review episode coming up sometime soon. Uh, so lots of good stuff coming down the pike. Uh, Steve's correct. we got a lot of stuff, uh, awesome stuff planned for 2024. Uh, we really want to take this podcast to the next level. So with that, till next time, this is Dave Calmel for Steven Box and for all of Vanguard Tactics saying it's 106 miles to Chicago. we got a full tank of gas, half a packet of cigarettes. It's dark. And we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Have a good week. See you later, everyone. <laughs>